Business as Unusual is a thought-provoking podcast that explores the innovative strategies, disruptive ideas, and unconventional practices driving successful leaders and companies in the ever-evolving world of modern business. Subscribe, comment, and share for weekly inspiration with our host, Aisela. Welcome to Business is Unusual. I am Aisla, and I'm here today with Nate Ishi-Lefgaard of Kite and Dart. Hello, Nate. Hello. How are you, Aisla? I'm good. And so you were talking about this before we started recording. I was going to ask, what's the last thing you did for fun? But maybe I'll ask, what are you about to do for fun? I have a very nerdy hobby. It's basically LARPing with BB guns called Airsoft. So I'm going to Texas this weekend and meeting up with a bunch of people and we're going to dress up like army people and shoot each other with BB guns and throw grenades at each other all weekend. What got you into that? You're such a nonviolent person. So I was like, what what created that interest for you? I'm a leftist and I have some opinions about that stuff, but that's not what really happened. I think that Karl Marx said that under no pretext should the proletariat surrender their firearms. So in terms of the whole gun thing, that's where I'm at, which is pretty controversial around my peer group on the left. But what happened was I was, had some adopted kids or some foster kids that were staying with us from Honduras and they wanted dart guns. And I started looking up because you know how that goes, right? With kids. So I knew they were going to come after me with whatever I got them. So I had to make sure I had something better to shoot them with. And so I started looking up this sport called airsoft. But airsoft guns, turns out, we don't want to shoot the kids with those because they hurt. But I was remodeling a bathroom in my house and it took me like a week. And so I just did this like super massive deep dive into airsoft podcasts. And by the time I got finished, I was totally in. So that's how it started. And then I just started playing. And then I I helped start a group called the Colorado Backcountry Airsoft Club. And we go out and play on on BLM land. And so what we're discovering, of course, is that there's transformation in everything. And so for a lot of men like me who have trauma and abuse and PTSD in our backgrounds, conflict is an extremely difficult thing for us. It never goes really well. And I had this guy named Rome, who's now one of my best friends, came up after playing airsoft for a week. And this guy had just a very traumatic background, special forces background, incarceration, man of color. And we played this first time and it was this really epic story. But at the end, we hugged each other. And so what I'm noticing is as men in this space and women, for that matter, we get to go out with our friends, have consensual conflict. Mm-hmm. Like, and we're hurting each other. because we're, And then at the end, we hug and appreciate each other. So for, and Rome and I have talked about this a bunch, but what it's doing is rewriting the way that our brains deal with conflict, that it doesn't always end up bad. I learned that from him. And so it's been a really amazing experience, actually. And it's super nerdy. Yeah. And this, I'll probably get 38,000 steps in or something crazy like that. Gotcha. That's great. Yeah. Exercise and connection, being outdoors. I could see a lot of positives to that. When you're not, out in the country with your friends playing and solving the traumas of the fear of conflict, you do this business called Kite and Dart. Can you mm-hmm. introduce a little bit about that? Oh, Kite and Dart. 
yeah, we're consultancy. Mm-hmm. We're in and around business development. And so we define business development as everything that's like in, in, in and around how strangers turn into clients. Our goal is to provide access to people that are values driven to the parts of the business that are, have been the most colonized, which we tend to think is growth, sales, and marketing. So we focus on helping impact driven entrepreneurs grow, sell in a way that feels authentic to them and market in a way that makes a difference. And we do that by helping folks figure out what we call unique maximum contribution, which is the unique way that each and every one of us can make a difference for the world. So what would you say set the stage for you to create this? Starting a business is a lot of work and it takes a lot of time and energy. So what about this offering was worth all of that? It's a great question. So. We started the business because my wife, who's a very successful entrepreneur and a serial entrepreneur and very good at what she does. She had some coaches and they sold, they were selling IP. And so we bought some, some intellectual property for a coaching business. And my wife said, we're going to be business coaches. And I had just quit a, and ended a career in the, like a seven year career in the cannabis industry. And I was ready for something new. What happened is I think when any of us start a business optimally, or really just in general, we're going to bring what we know to whatever iteration of business we're doing. And I had a big background in personal transformation. Hmm. So right out of the gates, we started looking at this relationship between like transformation, contribution and small business. And so that's what got me started. What keeps me in the game is watching folks get a breakthrough, getting access to successful businesses by understanding how our conditioning and our pre-existing ideas about business impact us mostly in a negative way as entrepreneurs. That's what keeps me alive today. That's what keeps me coming back to work is people just, they have breakthroughs and they get to get into action. And I like what they do with the place. I like it when impact people increase in power and uh, in opportunity and they create opportunities for other people and make a difference. I've seen that actually. I, what do you call it? Full disclosure. I've had the opportunity to work with Nate and I've, I've been part of why he's on this is I would say, Hey, I love what you're doing. Please let's talk about it with more people on the podcast. I really can affirm that my experience of you and it's a, and your model is very effective, which I obviously have appreciated for myself. You're a very humble person, but we would be remiss not to mention that you've been coaching my face off too. So there you go. Yeah. <laughs> if you want to lose your face, give me a call, I guess. I mean, it's a good thing. Pay somebody to, or hire someone to coach you, they should cut your face off. There like you go. Friends. And you totally, you have recontextualized my business for me. And I really appreciate that. Thank you. I appreciate that. What does the title of this podcast mean to you? When I'd say, I think you do business as unusual, how, how would you describe that to someone? It's, it's everywhere, right, in our business. But for us, doing business as unusual is really getting responsible for being intentional about how we make choices in business. 
understanding that we have been conditioned to think a certain way about the country and entrepreneurship and sales and marketing and growth, the contribution, the narrative for all of it has been hijacked by this kind of patriarchal white supremacist colonizer mentality. So for us, it's, and we know that we can't completely get rid of that in business. It's part of it. And for us, I think when we're doing business unusually, we're being really intentional about how we're operating in the market. And certainly I'm putting impact first over profit. That's a good way to put it, putting impact first. I mean, in some ways, it's a harm reduction model because we're stuck in the system. And at the same time, there are ways to mitigate or work to change things with other committed humans. And I, I feel like that's an important distinction. So thank you for sharing that. So you talked about getting people through breakthroughs in that the way that sort of excites you. It is part of what motivates you. Do you have a like a non-intrusive way of sharing a specific example that illustrates that? Uh, well, I don't want you to like accidentally reveal something about someone that is. No, I was on a call. I was on a, I was on a call with a, a woman of color yesterday. She's in the coaching intellectual property, this kind of coaching consulting space. And she got really honest with me on the call. She acknowledged me for the way I listened and, she acknowledged me for that. And then she started crying. And I said, did I go too far? And she said, no, I just feel seen. And when I hear that, I think it's a double-edged sword. But that a white man would listen and recreate a woman of color is such a rarity that it moves people. And it should in no way, shape, or form be a rarity. But I got the acknowledgement. And then the rest the conversation was about us working through. She's a obviously knows a lot more than I do about internalized white supremacy and how it impacts behavior of human beings of being a color. And our conversation turned into this like mutual kind of discovery for how we blame ourselves and how imposter syndrome is completely related to internal white supremacy. That's what it is. And so to be able to have somebody on a call switch from not completely, right? But take, but see uh, why they do things in a certain way that maybe could be perceived as suboptimal isn't because they are lacking anything. It's just because the con, a lot of times people's reluctance in business is discernment. And that's where we got to get to yesterday. And that was an hour and that's not a client. I can take those calls all day long. Blame ourselves. We blame ourselves because we have it like a business should be run a certain way. And it's hard to take a step back and think about who taught us that. Who are our teachers who wrote the quote unquote books of, or who's controlling the narrative for business in this country? It, it, and it's the air we breathe. We liken it to pollution. You have to breathe the air and there's a certain amount of pollution you're dealing with. And depending on many factors, that could be a lot. And also there's ways to mitigate it. However, yeah, we're still, that's what we're dealing with right now is our air quality isn't super great. Um, no. And we've been indoctrinated. We, Americans, we, lo we love mythology. And there's a lot of mythology around entrepreneurship. And when we start to really look at myth and the way that we are taught about our country and this culture, particularly as white folks, right? Mm -hmm. The George Washington chopped down the cherry tree and had wooden teeth. Now, now he had slave teeth from slaves in his mouth. 
we start to break the mythology down, it makes sense that we've just been conditioned to believe that somehow capitalism, like the most brutal form of economic system that's available, encourages competition. And we've been taught that, that this is like the land of opportunity. And look, in a lot of ways it is, but the market's not. Anybody who's been around for any bit of time knows the market is not welcoming us with open arms. It's for you, congratulations, but that's not the majority of the entrepreneurial experience. The majority of the entrepreneurial experience is like trying to figure out how to make enough money to stay in business until things get better. Like what you said to start too, is just that awareness that we start with a set of ideas and assumptions yeah. that is based on, and I think we are frequently aware that we have them. It's like in relationships, you copy your parents and you're like, I'm not going to do that. But then suddenly you're yeah. married and you hear yourself say something. For me, I did it more yeah. with oh, my yeah, kids. Mm. And you're like, what is that? I said, I wasn't doing that. Now I hear myself talking like my mom. Yeah, totally. <laughs> It's not, it's, it's nothing wrong. It's just how our brains operate. I was on a really cool zoom with a cognitive neuro, neuroscientist from Australia who also has a similar history about recovery from trauma and substance abuse and all this stuff. And we were talking about what it is to decolonize the myth of self-actualization. Just have it like we're supposed to, or can be completely in control of all of our thoughts. And we're not, there's a big animal brain in there that's designed for survival. And I think what happens is when we enter into business with an expectation of ourselves, that we are going to kick butt at this thing we've never done before, that all of us enter into entrepreneurship. And then the self-talk, the negative self-talk starts. And that's not the context to come from. It's cool though, because one these, when I introduce these ideas to a particular type of person, it doesn't take very long for people to be like, oh yeah, it's just because they're powerful ideas. I think what happens too, is we compartmentalize. I think so much of us, especially after COVID are taking a look at mental health and taking a look at environments that are friendly to mental health. And it's just a, it's a short step to take that and apply that to entrepreneurial behavior. We just tend to compartmentalize. And I think it's because of a lot of this myth of American exceptionalism and land of opportunity and melting pot and a lot of these tropes that we're taught that are not actually true. Now, the exceptionalism thing is such a trap, too, because oh that the feeling of being, and we all are in some ways exceptional. Everybody has some area in which they have some section, conglomeration of skills and talents and experiences that creates something in beyond what anyone else would even be able to do. And I, I feel like I've consistently seen that throughout my life with anyone oh. I've taken any time with. So in that right. way, everybody is exceptional. Mm. And nobody's quite as exceptional as like this story of exceptionalism is. And, we're not all the way everywhere exceptional. Yeah, no, and it, we're not as a culture any better or worse than any culture. Now, listen, there's certainly worse places to live and there's better. And I'm not saying like that this is, I have a son who's a Honduran immigrant like walked here for opportunity. Well, he really walked here so they wouldn't kill him, but that's a different story. And it's more, there's a lot of, this is a, the global majority is, aren't Americans. Yeah. And this no, myth not. of America, number one, like the only thing we're number one in is in, in percentage of our population that we incarcerate. We're not like that good. We're, it's, trust me, like it's great to have a, a country that has civil liberties and has a justice system that works, but 
this idea that we're like this, this God-given manifestation of the pinnacle of human civilization is just fallacious, just not true. We have yeah. good things and bad things. And yeah. it's the same as us, same as entrepreneurs. But this idea, though, like you said, this internalized, like op, this internalized, unachievable goal of perfectionism, which we know is one of the fundamental characteristics of white supremacy culture, is just not realistic, accurate. And it's also very harmful when we apply that expectation to ourselves. It's not fair. So what woke you up to that? I guess I shouldn't that. Could you know what experience or moment gave you that aha colonialism, white supremacy is really what I have to opt out of? Yeah, I had a coach, a woman of color named Jenny Madrano, who's a coach and who's lovely and brilliant and everyone should hire her. Jenny Madrano coaching, but she, I was doing some pro bono work for a nonprofit that she at the time was working at and she was in charge of their DEI program and they were going to go out and sell DEI work, which they did. And I know how to help consultants sell things is what I do. And I thought I was coaching her and she's the first person that introduced me to and held me accountable to my whiteness my white maleness, my cis male privilege. And, uh, and so that's really, I owe it all to Jenny and to women like her that have, and some men of color too, that have just been willing to let me pay them to teach me or have been generous enough to offer. And, but it started with Jenny, her naming the characteristics of the culture that all of us impact driven entrepreneurs are trying to change. And getting that inside of the context of my own oppressed and my own oppressor identities was a big shift for me. So if anybody's out there that hasn't done any kind of personal DEI work, you can see some DEI work on yourself to understand that we all have oppressed and oppressor identities and that's nothing we're going to get rid of and it's uncomfortable. But then again, maybe we should be. Yeah. It's a, yeah, it can be painful and uncomfortable and it's also in the long run more more easily lived with the benefit definitely outweigh the advantage disadvantages to me i have a my niece who's black who lives with us and my son who's from honduras and it's certainly transformed our relationships under being able to distinguish whiteness it's some not the way they see it but at least to be able to have access to the conversation it's like you elephant in the room or the air we breathe and so that's been really transformative for me yeah and it's not the easiest way to sell coaching so speaking of who do you typically work with or who thrives with your services so folks that have a that that work from a position of a lot of accountability personal accountability people who are entrepreneurs who are impact driven and are willing to look at themselves as well as the business in seeking a way to be a bigger impact to the world. Uh, It doesn't matter the discipline. Most of our clients will be in the professional services, marketing, sales, business to business type of stuff. And we worked with everyone from product manufacturers to energy healers to software developers. What puts our client base together is their values and how far they're willing to go to make a difference. Tell me about advice you've received that has changed the way you think about something you do. So I got two. One of them was Jenny. She mm-hmm. said, look, 
as a white man, you're used to everyone listening to you. But when you start talking about anti-racism, white people are not going to listen. And folks of color are going to listen to you either because they've heard it before. And it's going to take a long time to build those relationships. So get ready. That was really good. And then my friend Ian Ovens, who's brilliant, absolute, probably the smartest guy I know. Just ask him, he'll tell you. No, I'm kidding. He's Absolute genius, hands down genius. He said, we were talking about marketing one time and he's like, hey, you can't just say whatever you want to say to whoever you want to say it to and have it work. Mm -hmm. I mean, he's the one that really got me to start thinking about how marketing and business development inside of these concepts of empathy and consent. Mm -hmm. so definitely Ian and Jenny. But being an entrepreneur and also being committed to equity and inclusion in the business development process definitely has its challenges. And there's times I think when we get depleted, can you talk about what you've done to keep yourself inspired or going when you have those moments of, I feel weight of bricks right in front of me and on top of me? Oh, there's a certain degree of self-care that's not, that's part of privilege that's necessary for white people when we're working in and around the space of diversity, equity, and inclusivity, because we don't have a physiology like the neurology to deal with it every day, like folks of color have to. So we get angry, we get tired, we get stressed out, we get depressed. So there's a, there's a level that's perfectly normal. And folks of color experience it too, but as white folks, like we're, we just don't have that kind of physiology. We're just, we didn't build it. So... I think for me, what has worked is to be very, to have strong boundaries first and foremost around clients, like to be very clear in my communication about when I'm working with you and when I'm not, and when I'm available and when I'm not. Mm -hmm. The other thing is I have coach. I work with you. I have a, another coach, Beth. I have a psychiatrist. I'm on medication. I'm physically active. I eat both kosher and organic whenever I can. And uh, I try to get out from in front of the computer in the world and do some tangible things. And I've learned that more is not always better when it comes to the number of hours that I work in a week. And it's not like what will keep me in the game is being able to help people. And the rest of it is just something to be endured. And I think this is something that we need to normalize, which is why if we're aware of how systemic inequality, that capitalism really, right, the economic system of the United States is an enforcement mechanism for inequality. That's what it is. It's not a like, access to opportunities designed to support systemic inequality. And if we operate every day aware of our complicity in that system, it's not going to go very well. It is white people like we have to stop. The toxic positivity, like we're all supposed to be happy all the time and we're never supposed to be angry and we're never supposed to be frustrated and we're always supposed to be happy. Yeah. So for me, it's also having a realistic expectation of how this thing is going to go. And you started kind of down this road. So what does success look like to you? When you are successful, and you already are in many ways, it, and I'm talking maybe in that larger sense of having really felt like you've ar arrived, whatever that means. I know it's a false thing because we never really arrive, but what is, what's happening? What's the world look like? What's your work look like? What have you created? 
I think success for me, just for every entrepreneur, is to have the power and agency to have enough clients, to have the amount of money we need to thrive in life, and to make the amount of difference that we need. Success is that I get to help people and I get paid to do it. What would be nice would be enough money in the bank to be able to not only coach BIPOC owned businesses at name your price, but also to be able to invest. Me, if I had to look at what real success would be, is that I'm sitting on a fund that I can use to invest in BIPOC owned businesses, queer owned businesses. And in, in addition to being able to coach and provide access, but also to be able to find, provide money. For me, that would be it. So anyone who's listening that has big, deep pockets, give, give Nate a call, which leads me to this one. So for those folks who are listening and are very inspired by this and either want to get involved or follow you or talk to you about working together, what's the best way for them to reach you or to take that step? So the website, www.kitedart.com, kite like you fly, dart like you throw, is a great place. Folks can send me an email, nate at kitedart.com. Uh, we have weekly community consulting sessions that are open to the public where anyone can come in and ask questions or be a fly on the wall and get a taste of how our coaching works without sitting in the hot seat. But yeah, the website or email, great. Carrier pigeon, Morse code, I don't mind, whatever, telegraph. I really hope somebody sends you a carrier pigeon because I want to hear that story. And do you have anything else that you want to add before we wrap? Yeah, I think probably the majority of people that hear this interview, I'll never talk to you again. So I think what I want to offer is this, is that you're perfect, whole, and complete the way that you are. And you have everything that you need to succeed in entrepreneurship. You don't need to copy someone else who isn't you. And you don't need the world's most spectacular CRM. And you certainly don't need a $12 million website. What you need is a business that allows you to do what you're best at and help people in a way that works for you. That's it. Make the business work for you. We're not employees anymore. We're entrepreneurs. That's what I say. Thank you. That's a great way to end. Thanks everybody for listening.